We needed to climb so many mountains and they really felt truly um, impassable. And, you know, I was really starting to doubt that this was possible under my leadership. And I mentioned this to uh, a, a, another uh, newsroom leader and I told them, you know, I don't feel like I can do this job. I don't know what I'm doing. And they asked me a really simple question and they said, well, have you ever been an executive director of a newsroom? And I said, no. And they said, well, of course you don't know how to do the job. You're learning how to do the job. Hi, I'm Candace Fortman from Outlier Media. And I'm Ben DeJarnett from Lion Publishers. And on this episode of Newsguest, we're going to pick up where we left off last month, talking to news founders about what they wish they'd known when they got started. Yeah, and if you missed last month's episode, uh, you can catch up on that one and the entire first season of Newsguest on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you do your listening. Uh, or you can stick around for this conversation, uh, featuring advice from Shasta Scout founder Annalise Pierce and the director of Texas Tribune's Rev Lab, Emily Dressler. So let's get into it. Uh, here's a clip from my conversation with Annalise about how to navigate the legal process of starting a business, especially as a nonprofit. So Annalise, you shared the advice to incorporate early, and if you're a nonprofit, find a fiscal sponsor right away. So how did how did you learn that lesson? Well, I, I learned it the hard way um, by not incorporating early and by delaying a long time to find a fiscal sponsor. Um, that mostly was because I wasn't sure which way to go, nonprofit or for-profit. Um, and so I, I wanted to research. I had a lot of questions. I was really worried about making the wrong decision. And so I spent a long time trying to work that out for myself. Yeah. And what goes into becoming an official nonprofit? And did you know the steps of that process going in or did you have to learn and research and figure out your path as you went? Yeah, well, I still don't think, feel like I know as much as I should and need to. Um, like most news founders, I think I'm, I'm just struggling to stay afloat every day and learn whatever I can to kind of keep going. Um, I, I was really lucky to work with lawyers for reporters um, who connected me with a California legal firm that was willing to help me file um, my paperwork for my um, nonprofit incorporation. The actual process, you know, of, of being receiving your EIN through California is not difficult. It's just a matter of paperwork and some funds. But the process of getting the IRS verification is extremely long. And um, in fact, we, you know, we applied to the 1023EZ program, which is for limited revenue um, organizations. And at the time that we applied, that was what we believed our limited revenue would be and that the 1023 was the right choice. But, you know, they delayed us with some concerns about whether or not we were politically lobbying because we cover political topics. And by the time they had done the second review, we had surpassed those revenue um, projections, which is great, but it just means we're, we're once again going back to file the full 1023. So we have no idea when we'll get our verification, but we're in process. Yeah. I know you're still in the midst of it, but roughly how long is that process? What should people be thinking about as the timeline um, from start to finish? It's funny when I was waiting on the 1023 and I was told that it would be delayed, I called probably three or four times to the hotline number and asked different people how long I should expect to wait for my paperwork. And I got a different answer every time. So I think, you know, that's the system, right? That's the, the system. We're part of the bureaucracy. We just have to work with it. So in the meantime, while you wait for the registration to go through, what what have you learned about finding a fiscal sponsor, uh, especially one that's a good fit for your organization? Yeah, so I think that one of the most important things I learned just about fiscal sponsorship in general or moving towards a fiscal sponsorship is that 
yes, it's going to cost you something and it's going to limit you in some ways. Um, but it's really imperative to just move towards that as fast as you can. I was looking at it like, well, I don't want to pay seven to 10% to a fiscal sponsor. I'm not really making any money yet. I want every single bit of money to stay with my organization. So for that reason, I, I kind of delayed. I thought, well, maybe my, my process will go through quick, quicker than I expect. And I kind of delayed. The problem is that every single day, week, month of your first year matters as you're looking for grants and as you're looking for local audience donations. So every month that I waited, hoping my IRS verification would pass through was a month I was losing in terms of getting local grants and working with local grant agencies, developing those relationships. So I think that is a, you know, a regret, I guess, or a learning opportunity from um, my experience is that if I had moved much more quickly, I think I would have gained about six months of possible, you know, revenue from grants um, that I missed out on because I was trying to save that seven to 10%, you know, which looks paltry in comparison to what I could have earned. You know, Ben, I think that maybe Annalise uncovered <laughs> an investigation. Um, if you're calling the same government agency and getting three different answers, you, <laughs> there's some reporting to be done there, I think. Um, but that, you know, that's the engagement producer in me. <laughs> so I'll let that go for a minute so we can talk about the matter at hand. Um, this is an incredibly important conversation. How do you um, file for paperwork? What is the process? What are fiscal sponsors? You know, many people who are starting newsrooms are, did not come from business backgrounds, right? They have never started a business before. They don't understand what those processes are like. Um, and that's why I'm so fortunate that organizations like Lion exist to help people to navigate some of these questions and to have a community of folks they can call on um, because you really do need support when you're trying to figure this out. I think Annalise points out the fact that after a year, they were still in that 501c3 filing process and everybody's you know journey to 501c3 is very different and the timelines are very different. Um, it doesn't seem to be a ton of rhyme or reason to many of those answers. And I'm saying that as someone who is currently refreshing their email every day, waiting for our approval for our 501c3. So I am um, really in this situation quite real right now. Yeah, I, I didn't know how complex this process was until talking to Annalise. You know, I, I think it does raise like a, a question that a lot of our members have even before getting to filing for 501c3 status, which is, should I be a nonprofit or a for-profit? And, you know, what are the pros and cons? And uh, Joel and Green Kaiser wrote a really good article for us uh, last year about kind of how to think through it. But I thought one of the key takeaways from that is is to remember that nonprofit status is not a business model. It's, it's a tax status, right? So it doesn't guarantee that that you're going to earn more revenue um, than if you were for profit and and you still have to to do all the same types of kind of business thinking as you would as as a for profit right either way you have to earn at least enough revenue to to sustain your organization uh, if not to grow it if you can get an audit <laughs> and you can on both statuses you know we're all in this in the same game trying to to build a sustainable organization and maybe that's a more mm -hmm. unifying word for people because, you know, there are many reasons to choose one or the other. And I often don't have a great argument um, for either. I think that they both come with serious challenges. Um, and I and I think that there are some slight advantages um, depending on where you are and, and, you know, the state that you exist in and what the work you're trying to accomplish and um, how you think you might be able to raise money. But we're, I think that we said this before we all need to be throwing everything we can at the wall right now. 
And some of us are going to choose one path and we need to learn from that path as well. Right. So there are lots of things to be learned from for profits for those of us running nonprofits. And the reverse is also true. So, you know, look at the wall and see what spaghetti is sticking and, <laughs> and run with it. Yeah. And Joellen made another point toward the end of that post about, um, you know, if, if you're not sure which way to go for profit, nonprofit, like fiscal sponsorship can can kind of be a a placeholder, right? You can you can get set up with a fiscal sponsor, start doing the work, start bringing in revenue for your organization, and then you know figure out sort of the long term kind of tax structure uh, for your for your business or organization later. And as part of that, you know you got to kind of think through what type of fiscal sponsor you're looking for. To Annalise's point, you know their fiscal sponsors they'll take less percentage of your revenue, but they'll provide sort of less service to you, right? They're just kind of a, a pass through and provide some basic oversight. Um, and then, you know, for a, a higher percentage fee, um, they might provide some accounting and, you know, pay out money to, to freelancers and other contractors that you hire. So, um, you know, not, not all fiscal sponsorships are created equal. Um, and the cheapest fiscal sponsorship or the lowest rate fiscal sponsorship might not be the best fit, right? If, if you're not equipped to do that accounting work, uh, it might be worth every penny of that extra 5% to have, you know, an established nonprofit uh, do that for you. That's right. We are, we've had two different fiscal sponsors at Outlier and uh, both of those examples, right? We've had one who took less percentage and uh, provided less support services and one now who takes just slightly more um, but provides an invaluable service to us and really has helped us um, build up our capacity when it came to to fundraising, quite honestly, because we were we just had better paperwork. We had better tracking of our spending. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of different ways. And maybe this is worth a, a, a episode about, you know, choosing a fiscal sponsor and really working with your fiscal sponsor. We've been very fortunate. We share a fiscal sponsor with MLK 50. So, you know, we think that we're probably in good hands. Our work at Lion is all about helping independent publishers build more sustainable small businesses, which is why I'm excited to introduce you to this month's sponsor, Stacker. Stacker's Newswire service provides publishers with engaging data journalism on topics that local audiences care about, from gas prices to wildfire risk to real estate trends in their state. The best part is, independent newsrooms can republish this content on their website for free, and Lion members like the Auburn Examiner are already taking advantage. To join them, sign up for a demo call at the link in this episode description or email publishers at stacker.com to learn more. Okay, so Ben, who are we going to hear from next? Uh, our next clip is a short little bit of my conversation with RevLab director Emily Dressler, um, who has a ton of experience working with and for local digital news startups and who shared this advice about getting started on revenue development uh, even before you've publicly launched a news product. In journalism, it might go against our instinct to wait until we have a really solid project or um, we've actually started building an audience for our product. Um, but more recently, I, I worked with a great team um, with a shout out to Village Media in Ontario. And um, we put together sponsorship packages that um, appealed to people even pre-launch or during a soft launch phase. Um, so, you know, that was exciting to realize um, that people do want to come aboard while a project or product is coming together. Um, and then, you know, they can really have a seat at the table, which is exciting to a certain group of folks to have that seat at the table 
um, to share as you're building something. And then, you know, finally, I think um, using maybe more established networks is a win-win as you try to grow audience for that project. Yes, yes, and yes. (laughs) (laughs) Emily is certainly right. I think about um, the beginning of Outlier and why Sarah asked me to join her um, on this venture. And it's because she really wanted to focus solely on reporting. And so, you know, that importance of having someone on your team who is going to focus on the non-editorial side of your work, who's going to think through who's going to be your fiscal sponsor, the contracts with that fiscal sponsor, right? Filing paperwork and those sorts of things that give you foundational support that ensure that you're able to be around to serve your community long term, because that's really the goal, right? Like we talk so often about this as if it is just about um, business principles. But I think most importantly is that we want to make sure we're building state organizations that can um, exist when our communities need us most and also to become sort of, you know, a record of history for our communities as well. So um, certainly having somebody on your team, if you can have that, if you have that um, that fortune that can think through the business strategy, I think is invaluable. And I and I don't say that as the person doing that on my team because I I've messed up a lot of things on the, on the road to getting here. But um, I think that it is certainly nice to have to, to have one person solely focused on that work. Yeah, I think that's a good that's a good principle to, to think of when you're when you're launching something. If if you are a journalist who maybe has worked in newsrooms your whole life, often the people you <laughs> you're gonna know best are other journalists and and they might be like so excited about your mission and, and the idea and, and they want to be a part of it and you want them to be a part of it. Um, but if they're bringing roughly the same skill set as you are, uh, and you're not, and there's not a third or fourth person involved who who's bringing that business um, perspective, or as we talked about last episode, that like tech perspective, that that might not be the most efficient, effective allocation of, of resources and, and balance of talents that that you can achieve. So that's one of my pieces of advice to people getting started: is like at the end of the day, it's going to come down to the quality of your team and your ability to execute on the idea, regardless of how good or or in development that idea is, you, you got to have the people to execute on it. And there's nothing more important to focus on getting right out of the gate than like, do I have the right set of skills and expertise on this founding team? And if not, like, who are those people? Um, and maybe they are not currently journalists, right? Maybe they're coming from a different background. That's right. And I think we also want to make sure that we continue to encourage people who don't have any of that, right? Who won't be able to immediately attract someone um, to work with them, who won't have the financing to get that person on their team. If you're a solo founder, there are still incredible resources that you can be looking at to help you with that those structural things so that you can focus on the reporting. And I think one, Lion, is certainly one of those resources. There are tons of programs that can help you think through the, um, the structure and strategy behind your actual business operations. But I think also, you know, if you're in a community that has sort of like business incubators, Journal, you know, a newsroom is a business. It's, it's a community serving business, but it's a business. So look at those community incubators. There are tons of them that are in communities, but also tons of them online, many of them free. Um, particularly right now when we have so many people pivoting in all sorts of ways in their careers, you know, it might not be an apples to apples comparison for building, I don't know, you know, a makeup company, but there are certain things that are just 
you know, in order to run an organization, there are certain accounting things you need to have in practice. There are certain um, digital things you need to have in practice that any good teaching lab can help you work through. Um, so there are certainly resources that exist if you're in the situation where, you know, maybe you can't bring on somebody else to help you. We still want to make sure that you start that newsroom because, again, it goes back to our communities need service. If we can get service out, we can probably get you connected to the right things that you need to build your business. Yeah. And, and, and there's a lot of newsrooms that, that I've seen, you know, launching like community advisory groups or editorial advisory groups, right, to help inform the content. But it's just as good an idea to build like a, a business advisory group. Like maybe they're your readers, maybe they're people already in your professional network who like are excited by your idea and would give you kind of two months or two hours a month to kind of bounce questions off of, right? And to, to be a sounding board and provide advice on on those areas that you as a solo founder don't have particular experience or expertise in. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, people often, I think, are, are more generous with their time than we maybe expect them to be, uh, or I expect them to be. So uh, it doesn't hurt to ask. Exactly. Yeah. So go find that small business leader in your community who's running that small bakery or I don't know, dog kennel. I don't know why dog kennel came into my mind, <laughs> but if they're running a really great business, doing something that's opposite of what you're doing, they can probably help you figure out how to run a, re a really great newsroom business as well. So Candice, I don't want to end this episode without asking you the question we've been discussing here. So what do you wish you'd known when you became executive director of Outlier Media a little over three years ago? Ben can see this. You, the audience at home can't see this. My hair is very gray up front right now because uh, I haven't seen my beautician in a very long time. All of that gray has happened in the last three years. Um, so, you know, uh, expect some grain. But uh, at, a, at a very serious note, when I first started at Outlier, um, and probably within the first three months, I remember um, calling a friend and saying, I think I made a huge mistake. Um I don't know that I can do this job well enough to get Sarah's vision off the ground because I just felt really defeated by funders and my lack of knowledge about how major gifts worked. Um, and we needed to climb so many mountains and they really felt truly um, impassable. And, you know, I was really starting to doubt that this was possible under my leadership. And I mentioned this to uh, a, a, another uh, newsroom leader and I told them, you know, I don't feel like I can do this job. I don't know what I'm doing. And they asked me a really simple question and they said, well, have you ever been an executive director of a newsroom? And I said, no. And they said, well, of course you don't know how to do the job. You're <laughs> learning how to do the job. And you're going to learn how to do the job as you go. And you're going to have really big wins and you're going to have really big challenges and you are going to mess up things that are going to make you feel bad. Um, but your intention is what matters most. And so you need to set an intention and go with that. And so it's that almost like that conversation we had earlier about your why. Why are you doing this work? So that when you're having those really great moments, right, that can take you off course, just as as much as the challenges can take you off course, you can always go back to your why to recenter yourself. So um, I guess my advice would be figure out what your intention is and follow that intention um, aggressively. And it won't always feel like um, it's the best idea. But I think in the end, if you can go to sleep um, and rest well at night and not be um, 
of, you know, not be fearful of the choices that you're making because you feel like, you know, they've taken you off course. It is a lot easier to do all of this work. Um, and, and, and then secondly, of course, to remember that sometimes we don't know how to do things because we've never done them um, and we need to learn. And sometimes we learn on the road. So that would be my advice. Well, that's a great place to end uh, season one of News Guest. Candice, uh, on behalf of everyone at Lion, thank you so much for being our host, for bringing these ideas and questions and, and stories to our members and, and to the wider independent publishing industry. Um, it's been a joy to listen to you every month. So thank you. Newsguest is a production of Lion Publishers, the only journalism association solely dedicated to helping news entrepreneurs launch and build stronger independent news businesses. Special thanks to our host, Candace Fortman, our guests, Annalise Pierce and Emily Dressler, and our supporters, the Google News Initiative, the Meta Journalism Project, Democracy Fund, and the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation for making this work possible. <laughs>